Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, I am very excited to bring on one of my favorite people to talk to in the space. He's actually, he's known for a lot of things, but he's not known for being my co-host on the Roto-Grinder Sunday morning DFS NFL GPP show, but Ben Gretsch at Yards for Gretsch, the, the thief, the thief of signals, the thief of bananas. He's, he's all over the place. He's on ship chasing, he's on stealing bananas, and he's obviously writing one of the best newsletters in all of fantasy football stealing sig- signals uh ben gretch at substack.com I, I screwed that up ben gretch.substack.com we'll get into it ben is here today we're going to talk about fantasy football i'm going to troll him again about jarvis landry for the fifth time this offseason that he's probably getting sick of we're going to have a lot of fun and you're going to get to know ben a little bit better let's get into it <sighs> welcome to another episode of best ball bros Give me your click, but you don't have to listen. Oh, you had Gabriel Davis at 67%. Oh, sweetie, that's so hot. Can I curse on the show? Absolutely. I was so fucking bad. How can I lose? And the answer was by starting Allen Robinson over (laughs) Jamar Chase. Well, last year, kind of attached myself to Trey Sermon, which hasn't worked (laughs) out too well. Bill, if you ever listen to this, I love you. He's just such a boomer now that it's painful. I did think I was going to play in the NBA uh, when I was like six. I'm going to tell Evan Silva their boy. Went to the bathroom and just like told Evan, hey man, this is the top 15. People love the life act. <laughs> All, right, intro. All right, Ben. The first thing I'm really, I get excited when someone hasn't actually, this is weird. Someone hasn't like watched a bunch of the episodes or whatever, because I started a thing where I'm asking a question to to lead to lead into it and it is obviously this is a fantasy sports show typically a lot more fantasy football focused what is the worst fantasy football take you have had like in your career what's the most memorable like l you've ever taken i mean i was really high on john ross i got a lot of shit for that for a few <laughs> oh, years <laughs> that's, a that's a good that's one. i mean that's a fairly Fairly easy and quick answer. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time arguing with people that the trend that 
know, just because he's fast doesn't mean that all you know all overdrafted fast guys are, you know, it doesn't mean he has to be part of that. He actually had like really <laughs> strong uh, like dominator rating and stuff when you control for the fact that he played some DB. It's really funny. I've gotten into college targets per out run this offseason. And I, I looked up John Ross's college targets per run. It was elite. I still think John Ross should have been a star. I still is he, don't is get he it. in? Is he still? Uh, is he still in the NFL? He was last year, right? Was he was with the Giants been... last year? Yeah, he played a little bit. <laughs> That's He's how you know it's around over. somewhere. That's how you know it's over. You're the fifth wide receiver or sixth wide receiver for uh, for the Giants. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, Ivan. Hello, Joe. Thank you guys uh, for joining us and and Michael. I'm really excited to have to uh have been on for for a couple of reasons actually the first thing is a weird one that i wanted to lead in with obviously spike week is very best ball focused within the fantasy lens right but it's still it's kind of all all fantasy sports you being in the state of washington can't play some of the best ball stuff um that we do H- how has that like impact with this crazy underdog explosion and everything you know obviously you're you're grinding this stuff harder or as hard as as anyone that's out there how has that kind of impacted like you know your life as a fantasy football analyst it just makes me really angry all the time <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm not happy about it like we were talking about moving this summer and like both of our families mine and my wife's are are up here we were talking about moving and that was not a small part of it i have been talking about moving since basically i got into the industry um you know there's there's little workarounds and things that are not always super above board but fine and the the easiest thing is just finding ways to draft with buddies uh i do a lot of drafting over at ship chasing with pat and pete draft with sean over at stealing bananas a lot uh, really enjoy that stuff, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I would like to just be drafting on my own some too. You know, <laughs> that's a that's the how best way to, to. How to far bet, are like, you from a from a state line from a state line to a legal state? Three are you half, close? Three yeah, and a half hours. Yeah, the West Coast is a lot different than the East Coast. Like, right? It's a it's a deep drive. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know. I never set up. I, I should have set up like a profile. Can you, I, I don't know. I guess someone else who has lives in an abandoned state might be able to say, but can you even like <laughs> register? Cause in some, some of the Mm-mm. sites you can't even register. Right. So I, you know, I was in Hawaii recently. I was actually in Oregon recently and I was like, I wish I could draft. Uh, what Vancouver. Okay, fine. Same. I could go, drive go up to, to Canada. Yeah. For like whatever, 90 minutes. Which has Canada. It- which has its other like uh <laughs> you're yeah like i can cross into country. a different a different country like once <laughs> a week so i can go draft and it's still 90 minutes or more i mean it's not like yeah. it's a super short drive um what was i talking about? oh yeah i was in hawaii i was in oregon i wanted to be drafting but th- th- there's some pros to it too like i talked to like you know all these everybody's like you, all you guys are drafting constantly try to get your numbers in and stuff so like when i go on a vacation mm-hmm. to hawaii i don't feel much pressure you know i'm just like fine I'm yeah gonna, that's i'm true. gonna enjoy my vacation you know and so i've i've leaned into that side of it i got two daughters i kind of take it as like you know i'm taking that time to try to be a, a good dad as much as i can but um it would probably be stripping even more of my time away from my family so i don't i you know i try to see the positive but honestly dude it's super frustrating it's super frustrating <laughs> that I, I can't just like hop in a draft sometimes I mean, there's so many elements to it too that I like as somebody who doesn't have them, like I'll just lay them out. 
Like, I, I think it's super easy content on like Twitter and stuff to just show your drafts and be like, here's who I'm picking, you know, like it's please, please don't spoil my Twitter strategy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like It's just super, super easy. She's like, oh, I got the one oh one. Look at this team. It looks awesome. Yeah, no shit. It has Jonathan Taylor. Like, uh, yeah. it, and people are like, oh, cool team, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's it's super good for your actual takes for your actual like thinking through this guy versus that guy where there's pockets of value, all that stuff. Just be testing your stuff stuff taking you know do tests <laughs> do do te- like you know actual tests here you know silva has talked about that for years with this 150 when he brings it out he's like i want to battle test this i want to do mm-hmm. this in enough drafts i haven't released rings over ceiling signals yet in part because i feel like i'm way behind a lot of my readers in terms of how much i've drafted and i don't want to be putting stuff out there where i'm you know, leaning a certain way uh, on guys that I don't want my followers to be leaning because I don't understand the draft rooms as well as I should. So I want to be battle testing that stuff more than I am uh, right now. I mean, it, so both of those. And then there's the element of just like wanting to get your, get money down on your takes when you're researching as much as I am. Yeah. Obviously, it's like low probability stuff with these massive best ball tournaments. You and Pete had that awesome team last year that finished really high. But I mean, even that has like ancillary benefits for like your career and stuff too, where it's like, hey, look, I yeah. finished top top 10. Like just having those bullets over the last few years would have been nice. I did really well in some other contests. I was leading <laughs> right. the Scott Fishbowl right. for like half the regular season. I've been, I remember that, yeah. And I, I've only been able to draft a couple teams in these big tournaments. I finished top 20 in the FFPC main two years ago. I feel like there's a decent chance, you know, a small chance, but maybe a better chance than average that some of these best ball teams I could have built, built could have done well. And it would have been nice for my profile and things. So there's all these things where it's like, believe me, I think about this shit a lot. I'm like, this fucking sucks that I can't draft. Is, do they, is DraftKings uh best ball there? Or is it, I actually don't know though. They don't have, they don't have DraftKings either. I None. Have, I, uh, I assume it's a statewide legal uh, best ball is the thing. Washington that is the has issue. very bad very bad gambling loss the, what maybe the worst of the 50 states yeah um it is funny because like you said uh, you mentioned like the i'm in the midwest and i'm in illinois so it's not an issue gambling is everything everything is legal here. It, it's, it's illinois everything is legal here best ball gambling whatever dfs but in missouri it is not and i'm actually by st louis so like i always tell everyone i'm from i technically live in illinois but i i'm I say I'm from St. Louis because I can like throw a rock, you know, and and throw it into Missouri from my house. But if I if like someone from Missouri like drove across, you know, to my house, they could draft. But it's it's fair and it's very easy, right? For you and a lot of people in the Northwest, it is a very different. It's extremely different than yeah. than where I live or than like you said, the East Coast is definitely a lot. East easier. Coast is way different. You can drive, you know, the, the amount of time it takes me to drive. To Oregon, you can drive across like three states. You know, I mean, <laughs> we went on a road take trip. Take the train. The- take the train. That's a, I know some people literally that when when the New York and New Jersey sports betting thing was going on, um, they they lived in New York City and they would just take the train over to Jersey and and like whatever you you yeah. get once you cross into Jersey, I make my bets. I sit on the train, I turn around, and I go and I go back home, and it was yeah. just part of their day. People talk about that with Vegas all the time too when they're visiting to to drive into LA or drive into I mean not into LA into California SoCal or into uh, Arizona you can go either way from Vegas you got a couple options I mean Seattle's just kind of tucked up up here John makes a good point I guess they could drive to Canada but uh, 
I haven't been to Canada in like 10 years. Why would I go to Canada? <laughs> right. Nobody wants to go to Vancouver, bro. No offense. No offense. I mean, nobody wants to come to St. Louis either, but nobody wants to go to uh, Van Vancouver either. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, this like kind of specific fantasy football environment that we're in. Obviously, we're we're recording this in July of you know 2022, and this landscape has like changed from definitely when the both of us got into this this whole space like i i listened to every episode of of stealing bananas and it's like you know some of the things you guys will talk about i can almost sense it in you and sean being like yeah like five years ago this guy would have went in this round Mm -hmm. and now he's going in this one and like am i am i like how do I adjust my process? Am I wrong for my assessment? Is the market getting smarter or is the market getting dumber? It was like uh, you talked through, I think it was uh, today that it got posted, like uh, like some dead zone-esque running backs. And it was like, well, here's my take on this guy, but then here's my take on this guy. And the market is treating them the same. Am I right? Is the, mar- is the market right. right? And like, that's kind of how I feel too about like everything. It's like the Gabriel Davis thing is like a meme now or whatever, you know, but like, we, we we have to pay for certain guys that we didn't. Gabriel Davis was would have been a freaking eighth round pick five years ago or whatever, and just the easiest win in fantasy. Now you want that guy, you got to pay for him. And there's all these nuances now to this game that we play that are so different. And have you like how are you kind of thinking like feeling like you said you haven't drafted a ton, but you're still doing lots of research and stuff. Yeah. This year I feel like is the biggest difference I've ever felt in this entire space. Yeah, and. I mean, I will say I kind of just to to finish up the last conversation, I almost wear it as a badge of honor because it's like I don't even get to draft as much as I want to or do this stuff. And I'm, I'm that obsessed with this. Like I, I do. I do pay a lot of attention to it. Um, I would say that like over the long term, we've seen uh, drafts, ADP, drafters, the market get sharper. Right. But I also think in small samples there's a lot of overreactions and there's a lot of shifts as we so it's like things are moving like like a lot of things things are moving you know the right direction long term but they are you know it's it's vacillating as it gets there right Mm -hmm. and so you have to be aware and i think one of the things that sean and i really vibe on and really enjoy from our conversations is we've both just been obsessed about this since we were like young, you know, well, like we've both been playing this yeah. for 20 years. I started my only when I was a 12 year old. Like I, I started playing this really, and I was like a freaking huge stats nerd already. Like I was the mm-hmm. guy who was running it for my older brothers. I was the one that kept all the, all the information and everything. I was, I was that kid. Um, and, you know, so through my formative years, through, you know, freaking puberty through high school, I was already reading fantasy stuff constantly. Like the early days, reading Matthew Barry, reading all these guys in the, in the, in the, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, and thinking of strategies and, and trying to, you know, game this stuff out. And there's, I, I don't know, like one of the, one of the things that Sean and I will I, I, like kind of vibe on when we talk about that stuff and we have that sort of long-term thing is like, there's always these trends in the industry. There's always, you know, the popular new idea, like right now, correlation, week 17 correlation or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you and I have talked before about how 
there can be, it's a really useful exercise to try to think about what the next trend might be. Basically yeah. what's going to happen next off season. What are we going to see in the data that makes us think something different next year? Because one of the things <laughs> having done this for a really long time is you're like, there's a lot of shifts. And I think the shifts are tr- like typically positive, but it's okay to have a healthy amount of skepticism, I think as well. And one of the biggest things I'll say is like, it's okay to be creative. Like it's okay to think, you know, something no one else does. It's hard to identify groupthink in in the moment. Like right at this time of year, there's a lot of stuff that we all agree on. And I don't even know that there's anything that I want to specifically say is wrong. But there you can definitely look back and say there was a lot of stuff we agreed on maybe last year or the year before, the year before that you can look back on and be like, that was pretty stupid that we all agreed on that. Like, <laughs> yeah. We're kind of fucking idiots. Especially when you think about player takes, like some of the assumptions that the market was making was sure of oh, you had to take that guy over that guy because of these elements in his profile. So I think like being willing to be creative, willing to think outside the box and, um, you know, just understand that there's probably less known than it feels like, even though things are getting sharper. I can always feel like everything is known, but I mean, the, the end result is like, there's a lot of variability in, in this stuff. Uh, uh- a hundred percent. That was, that was absolute gold. And a couple, you kind of touched on a couple of different things that, uh, that really rung true with me. And the first one is like you talked about when you were young, you know, like that, you, like I haven't worked in this space forever. I know you haven't all like literally it hasn't been your entire career in, in fantasy football. Most that's not how it works. For most, 2015 is when I started yeah, writing. So yeah, yeah you, no. you don't, you don't graduate college and just like become a fantasy football. <laughs> yeah. tout. Usually, usually it doesn't work like that. There's not a degree that says fantasy football tout. Uh, so uh, it takes a little while to get there, but the, the same as you, I was oops, accidentally uh, clicked Gabe's uh, comment again. Uh, same as you, I was the kid. It's so funny you mentioned this right when you said you were like the guy running the stats and and doing all that when you were when you were young. Uh, my wife and I are trying to go to a bunch of St. Louis Cardinals games. They have a a standing room only pass, so we pay thirty bucks a month and we can go to every single game. We obviously don't have a seat. It's a standing room only ticket that we can get in, but I can go to if I wanted to go. If they have twenty home games, I could go to all twenty for thirty dollars total. And we're just, we just, we bought that and we're like, you know, we're getting a little bit older. It's like, if we want to go, like we just want a night out, let's just go to the Cardinals game. We can go to St. Louis. We can go out to dinner and then go to the game or whatever. But we went and there's uh, just last week we went and there's like some late, like old ladies keeping score, right? The old, old, you know, right. Um, everybody that's probably watching this is probably close enough to our age. They understand Bullock is not, I saw Bullock in the chat. He has no idea what keeping score at a baseball game is, but you know, so you literally are keeping, you, you pay, you pay the St. Louis Cardinals to keep score of the game. They're doing it on the big screen for you. But like, I don't, for whatever reason, that was a thing. And like, I, if, if we went to a game when I was growing up and I didn't get to do that, it was like, my experience was ruined. I'm like, I'm fucking keeping score. I'm eight or whatever. I'm keeping score of this baseball game, you know? And so it was like, that's always been the thing. My longest running home, we have a dynasty league that we drafted when I was in high school, early high school with all, like a lot of my high school buddies. Some people have moved on or whatever, but uh, I'm trying to remember who, who I'm, so I'm 30. 
before. So it's been, you know, 18 years or whatever since we drafted the initial launch of this. It was like Mike Vick. Like, I don't know. I, you know, it was like, it was like, over, like we were drafting at that point in time. And I, so I was so obsessed with all of this um, back then. So it's, it's absolutely the same thing for me. And then uh, the, we were literally talking in the Spike Week Discord today about some of the like lessons and, you look back like last year, like you said, we think we we think we like uh, got so smart last year. And I'm like, I did so much dumb shit. Like I, there's so many things I did wrong. Player take or we were talking a lot about the archetype type stuff. It was like, oh, there's this idea that when I draft zero RB, I got to mix in James White because, yeah. you know, I need those early season points. And it's like, I don't agree with that anymore. And like, and I'm not. Well, you didn't that agree with that of, last year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you very famously asked Davis what the fuck James White was doing first in that build. But I was actually drafting James yeah. White last year. It was just uh, that. Oh, got that me. was a hyper fragile build. You were like, "Why are you adding James White to that?" Was that well, right? Yeah, Josh Jacobs was his like RB four, and he still took James White. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but your point is so spot on that like. We we're definitely getting smarter, a hundred percent. But at the end of the day, also, we really don't know shit. We really don't know yeah. shit. And everything that wins, I was talking about this today too. Everything that wins is like something that was uncertain, yeah, or a or like a contingency, which is basically uncertainty. The same thing, right? Why was Rashad Penny the winner? Not because we came into the year like Rashad Penny's the best running back pick in drafts. It was like Rashad Penny's pretty good. He has contingent upside and maybe a little bit of uncertainty. And then it just so happened to play out in the fantasy playoffs where his opportunity came to shine. And guess what? The good player just absolutely crushed. Amon Ra, right? Go on, whatever. None of these guys, we didn't come into the year like, oh my God, yeah, you right. have to take Amon Ra St. Brown. But so we're getting smarter, but the whole the whole game is like not about being the smartest right now in july but i i it, absolutely um john has this all caps message. he's been tweeting this all off season that nothing matters and uh like essentially like no player takes matter all that stuff i do think john takes it a little bit to the extreme too far i, like I to would take say it too far, but i agree yeah the way so i wrote about this in my my recent Substack post that when i first started doing fantasy writing I started getting really into the takes that I had the first few years. I mean, I remember, I think it was like, especially it was funny, especially if like a, if a take did well, like if people loved it, like I remember writing up Devonte Parker in year two or year three. And I was like, he's a rocket ship or something. And people love this road of his article. It got shared a ton. People were all on it. And I was like, freaking love Devonte Parker. I remember I started reaching mm -hmm. for him in drafts. I reached for him in the Scott fishbowl that year. He did not have a good year. Uh, so you sort of like lock yourself into <laughs> you lock yourself into these takes because you start to get a lot more certain on player takes or this happened to me early in my career and i wrote about this recently that i my i i still did pretty well i overall but my like i felt like i was doing worse in i started writing in 2015 in 2015 2016 than i had been in my leagues i was playing in you know, mid stakes leagues and where I can get my money, whoever would take my dirty Washington money. There's a few sites that I can find <laughs> out there in, you know, from, from, from when I was in high school, I've been playing in these types of, off, you know, offshore fantasy sites and stuff. But um, 20, 
you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, doing really well, 2015, 2016, I start doing a little worse. And I, and I actually had like a hard time with that because my, my writing was doing really well and I was getting a lot of really positive feedback about my analysis, right? And I, that was exciting and I was starting to make a name for myself in the industry, but I was finding myself not succeeding as much in my on my own teams. And I personally at the time was like, well, it's because I'm spending so much time in my analysis, I'm not paying attention to my teams. I used to, you know, pour over waivers and and look for trade opportunities. And that's why. But I, I also think a big part of it was, and I wrote this recently, was I had been previously more comfortable with uncertainty, just like kind of like, these are the things I don't know. How do I find ways around it? Which is sort of like what John's saying. He's, I think he's doing a very good job of that. And then I started to get way too certain on player takes, which put my, like sort of the balance of what I was using to make my decisions towards the wrong thing like i'm very yeah. certain that this guy's a good pick no matter what and not thinking about the market not thinking about more things to the extent now that i've gotten better later in my career and, and some people say that i have you know useful things to say or whatever i think all of that like i don't think i have anything particularly interesting other than i think i've gotten a lot more comfortable with uncertainty and uh, people who read my Substack will know that i am often writing about ranges and you know what ifs and if i have an edge like i believe that I, that it's got to be related to this idea that i've gotten more now actively comfortable with uncertainty in addition to you know doing the research that i was doing and having a lot of player takes and having stuff that i like but also being like look this is all contingent on price this is all contingent on the specific build that i have all of those things and so everything you were just saying about that, I mean, again, I guess this is the pushback I would have on what John says. I, there's a ton of uncertainty, but I actually don't think nothing matters. I think you have right. to be able to identify when you look at a situation, what is the whole range? Like what is Amon Ross St. Brown's a great example. I didn't, I wasn't on him, but he's Me absolutely neither. a guy I would have told you last year had the potential to be really good. He had an interesting prospect profile as a later draft pick. He had some production in college. I think he was in early declare. I'm pretty sure he was in early declare. Yeah. He was a guy that in dynasty circles, we were like, this guy's pretty interesting as a later round guy. I had reasons to not necessarily like him, but there were elements to his profile that told us this guy could actually be pretty good. And so there was an uncertainty measure with him that, and, and then rookies in general, we know our, uncertain we know they have the potential for late season breakouts this all fits with stuff that i write about a lot if you're re reading my, my stuff yep. that, that was not surprising as well as the situation for him right his his theoretical target competition which did not end up being his target competition right is brashad perriman and tyrell williams and khalif raymond and what he had there, there were no obstacles to him it was just all the you know the we, we looked at the lions as a as a thing that we didn't really like we looked at him as a meh like rookie yeah. or whatever right and so all that compounded into whatever he's a 15th round pick that we don't care yeah. about i was very high on swift i was very high on hawkinson and because i was high on both of them i thought maybe this is not the right situation which is not typically the right way to think through things obviously john again i keep shouting out john but he, he says we should name it hyperfragile gto so some things matter the, to the extent that some things matter, I think probably what matters the most is, you know, is upside, is ceiling, is difference makers, especially, I mean, it's a little different in best ball, and, and this is obviously a best ball show. I understand why people sometimes take some floor picks in best ball, because you kind of have to construction-wise, but especially like in, in redraft and in manage, which is more my biggest forte, Yeah, you are going to change your roster from the start to the finish. It almost doesn't matter. 
like how balanced your roster is at the draft. You could literally do a zero RB draft in July and then, you know, try to just win it off waivers. I, I'm not suggesting that, but you could. And I think you could actually succeed fairly easily if you dominate mm-hmm. enough at the other positions. What you're trying to do is basically get seven or eight guys out of your draft that are going to be hits. They're going to be difference making hits, right? Or maybe five to six. Yeah, difference making hits. Difference right, making right. hits. Maybe there's two or three that are huge. Five to six or seven to eight that are like reliably good. You're going to have misses. You got to just like wear that. And I think that's true in basketball too. I mean, that's part of why I've never like been fully on the like optimized for two quarterbacks and two tight ends in every situation, which was a big, big thing last year. I know a lot of you guys have come back off that a little bit. In certain builds, you're willing to take the third mm-hmm. TV, more willing to take the third tight end. I think last year you were you were leading the charge of like you had to do two and two on almost every draft. Right? I was I was a I was a very big proponent of that. I still am pretty into that, but I am, as you said, I I, I think any sort of rigidity is rigidity a word? Being yeah. rigid rigidity is is like evil like really like that's the 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 problem is not even necessarily the idea like and i wasn't saying that you were saying this of two quarterbacks two tight ends or whatever it is not being like at the end of the day i want to draft a good team (laughs) right Right? if i draft hunter henry and noah fant and i get to the 18th round and there's a player there that makes more sense for me to draft a third tight end I should draft the third tight end, but also there might be a draft where that doesn't exist. And I should just be like, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be pretty fragile here. It's basically like what, what does that individual pick actually impact? Like what does it bring to your roster? Right. And sometimes, I mean, one of, one of the things I've been saying lately as it's come up a few different times, I think I said on stealing bananas is like the biggest mistake you can make a fantasy drafter is trying to fix a problem. Like, at a spot in the draft where it's not allowing you to like, yeah, and that the was best a great example is like the dead beautiful zone. comment. Yeah. Like if you've started zero RB people, the biggest issue with people who don't like zero RB is they pull out of it too early. They start taking dead zone backs. Those are just wasted picks. You, you absolutely have to keep taking receivers and press the advantage that you started with. And then you have to manage the late round running back situation, but you can't start zero RB through five rounds and start hammering, or four rounds and start hammering running backs in rounds five, six, and seven, then be like, oh, zero RB suck. Like that's you tried to like fix running back by not like you should have. I would way rather you took a, an anchor running back or two running backs in the first two rounds and then started hammering receiver, then tried to do zero RB and pulled out in the fifth round and started drafting running backs in the worst spot to take running backs. I mean, historically, this is where running backs are the worst pick. So that I mean. I had a friend in a dynasty league who was asking about, you know, uh, he needed QBs in a super flex league. And should he take some second round shots on some of these QBs? I'm like the wide receivers you can get here, the David Bell or the Wandale Robinson. Those guys are better picks than taking the stab on like Desmond Ritter, whose profile is not great right now. Um, I, I mean, Desmond Ritter might be fine, but my main point was you can't fix your quarterback issue in your super flex dynasty league just because you want to. With this quarterback class, yeah, this is the, exactly. one of the worst draft capital quarterback classes ever. They might hit. Well, probably one or more of those quarterbacks is going to be okay. But um, it's Sam Howell. But it's Sam Howell. It's not any of these I other guys. I hope it's Sam Howell. I hope it's Sam Howell. I got it. I got it a lot of him. But point is, he was trying to fix the quarterback problem where it wasn't, you know, the draft. And when I said this to Karen the other day, he goes, the draft doesn't care about your needs. And I was like, that's a perfect way of putting it. Like, so, so good. you, you, you got to take what you're given. So like you just said, the three tight end thing, if you can get a, a, a third tight end that actually adds some firepower to your build, fine. 
you know what I mean? Like, or you, you have a reason to believe it or he's fallen or whatever. And if you don't, then don't, you know, <laughs> like there's no, yeah. the, the lack the rigidity thing is a, is a huge thing. You still have to understand structure, but there is, that's what the creativity I was talking about earlier. Like yes. you've got to be a little bit creative. Yeah. That's everybody. It, my, my general premise of the entire fantasy football landscape, and this comes into play on just about every subject the structure thing is probably the easiest one where they say, just fucking tell me how many quarterbacks to draft. <laughs> tell me how many running backs to draft, right? Or tell me when to draft the running backs, right? That's yeah, another, And that, who to that's... draft. People just want you to, to draft their team for them. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but even if they don't, they want, I want to like, give me a, a guideline. Give me a, you know, give me, give me this rubric that says, here's how, how to construct this team. I know that, I want a coloring book. I don't want a canvas. Don't give me a fucking canvas because I'm going to just throw shit on the wall. I want a coloring book and I'm going to color in between those lines. Yeah, That's what everybody wants in fantasy football. And it's like the problem is if I give you lines to paint in between, it doesn't work. Like it just doesn't work for every scenario. And you, it, the creativity is the perfect example for this kind of ridiculous metaphor is like, you need the creativity to go outside the lines and paint on the canvas. You can't be stuck to this outline on this coloring book because certain times, actually almost every draft, you have to think different and be like, ah, actually, I know I need a running back here, but this these are still not good picks. I understand that my team needs a running back, but we can still figure out how to make a better team by not drafting a running back here, right? Uh uh, I, I watched the. It's stuck in my head now because I watched the Swolcast earlier today. And 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 shout out to Dave Kitchen. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually rocking the Fantasy Insider shirt uh, today for this. Shout out to Dave. But like he took Eli Mitchell. He actually started with a zero RB team. And like I don't hate Eli Mitchell. I, it's not a slight on Eli Mitchell, but it was just kind of one of those where uh, Dave has. This was the first best ball team he's drafted of the entire summer, and he went four wide receivers and a tight end, and was like, oh shit. I guess I need a running back. And he took Eli Mitchell. And I'm not saying that Eli Mitchell's the wrong pick, but I'm saying the reasons for taking those, those, those guys are, are wrong. And I just think we're in this space now where this, these are the conversations we should be having where it's like, like exactly what you said uh, and what Pat said, the draft doesn't give a shit about what you need. You need a running back. They're going to give you the shittiest running backs. That's actually yeah. probably what's going to happen. You need one. We're going to give you the shit ones and then hope that you take them because now you're going to give us an advantage. You know what I mean? And that's like that. That's the fun of all this for me is that all of that nuance. So this comment live a little, I wonder what that's in reference to, but if it's saying that <laughs> taking the running back is live a little, I would argue you're taking the running back because you're afraid of the fact that you don't have a running back yet. And that's sort of the, you know, fear-based decision. You want to live a little, don't draft the running back. Like you, when I think of live a little, I think of like go go cliff diving or something. Like that's what I did <laughs> on my 35th birthday in Hawaii like a couple of weeks ago. Like I want to, yeah, I, like, okay, yeah, well, we live a little, draft the running back. I don't know if that's necessarily what Corbin's saying, but like I hear that type of feedback sometimes. Like, oh, you're, you know, just take the risk on the running back. I mean, I think it's like a lot tougher, frankly. And the reason that people have so, so much hard, like such a hard time with zero RB, it's a lot tougher to keep saying, hey, I have four receivers right now. And I'm going to continue to draft receivers, even though yeah. I don't have a running back. And we know that, like, the elite play. 
we we're not blind to the fact that like Todd Gurley was a must have the year that he was elite. Then Christian McCaffrey was a must have. Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson were, you know, 10.5K guys in DFS every week that year. And everyone was trying to jam them both in and then playing $3,000 players around them because (laughs) they were so good. They had like 25 point floors. Like elite running backs are absolutely elite. No one's denying that. But like, I want to be, I want to be like willing to take risks, frankly, be uncomfortable in certain situations. I also want to get exposure to running backs in the early early rounds of drafts for all the reasons I just said. But Corbin said you got it better than I did. So sorry about that, Corbin. I kind of jumped probably the wrong way on your comment. But I have seen the way that I read your comment. I have seen that type of comment before. But, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think the best advice that I've heard in the last several years, and I've repeated it, I think Pete is the one that I would maybe attribute it to or, or that I've heard discuss it most consistently and eloquently and it is more of a broad stroke thing, but like you want to understand these structural things. You want to understand the dead zone. You want to understand the theories and reasons behind going to quarterback or two tight end and how that can open up the, the, the depth of, at wide receiver and running back and in your builds. And, but the biggest like broad stroke thing, as you understand those elements is whatever capital you use early in your draft, don't use a lot of it late. And if you like, so if you go receiver heavy early, take extra running backs late. If you build hyper fragile, you take a lot of running backs early, then take, you know, uh, more receivers late. Don't take a ton of running backs late. Just this idea that wherever you're investing a lot of, of capital in the early part of drafts, if you take an elite tight end early, you might not need a three tight end build. You're kind of, you know, committing to that tight end. Yeah. If you take an early QB or you take two in the, in the QB window, you're definitely not taking a third, right? Like if you take two right. in the top 10 or 15, you're definitely not taking a third quarterback. It's a pretty logical simple guideline to to think by if you need a tiebreaker do i need this extra running back or receiver where did i spend more capital early in my draft and i mean i honestly that's one of the better like pieces of fantasy advice i've heard in like honestly like in years because it is less rigid it's there's room for interpretation okay yeah i did take more capital early but i took some kind of questionable bets and they fit my team this way and so you know maybe i'm gonna draw a little bit outside the lines in this way on this one but it's not trying to say like you have to do this or you have to hit this number of running backs when you hit this number by this many. I have a hard time with that stuff. Yeah. It's funny because uh, uh, when you, when you mentioned that it, it made me think of that. So this was probably the best fantasy football advice I've ever given. And I feel like it ended up getting ruined and I've given a lot of bad advice. So the bar is really low. When, when you attach your brand to Trey Lance and Darrington Evans for an entire offseason and Antonio Gibson in the, at the fucking one-two turn, uh, it's probably not like, you know, you're, the bar is really, really low for like what is actually good advice that you gave. But I went on Leone's, you know, when this best ball thing started to blow up, I went on Leone's pod last year and we, we talked through a lot of this strategy stuff. And I, I actually, I, I, there was, it's funny because this has become a, a thing that people say. And I, there was no plan for this. There was I, I didn't like uh, scheme this out, but I was just like, everybody drafts like they're fucking wrong. I'm like, why are we not drafting like we're right? Which is literally everything that you just said. Like you just defined, you literally defined it perfectly. Although and people have taken like, that too far too. That's say. what I'm saying. Yeah. People have ruined that. People yes. have absolutely ruined. So I literally was like, I didn't think that that was a big thing. I just thought that that was just kind of like a, a, a way to, 
define something and to move people a certain direction and then they go too far it's the Exactly. The vacillations, right? Yes. And it's yes, like 100%. you still have to understand that sometimes you have to have contingency-based decisions. Sometimes you have to be a little bit like if then, you know, not everybody's going to hit their ceiling. Your whole roster can't be perfect. It just doesn't happen in fantasy football. Like that's the other element where I'm like I, I hate to be like I've been doing this for 20 years. But like that's the other thing. When you've played <laughs> a lot, a lot of years of this, you're like you're not going to hit the nuts that perfectly. Like but in a huge tournament, you have to think that you're going to get close. You, I, I totally understand close, the draft like you're right. But not perfect. Right? It's not close, but not perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah. None of these teams that win these tournaments are perfect, right? Liam I mean, drafted Justin fucking Fields, dude. Dra- yeah. Liam drafted a, a two QB team with a useless quarterback, too. Absolutely useless. Right. He had multiple useless picks. He drafted 75% Gabe Davis, who was borderline useless. Like You're going to have misses. The whole point about draft as if you're right is on that team, I'm right about something. Not everything. Right. I'm right about – and that's exactly what you outlined that's, so and, perfectly. And that helps you – and I've heard – you've written about this as well, and I really like the piece, but you were like draft about as you're right, as if you're right about something is such a great way of putting it because then you're like, okay, I'm going to decide that I'm right about my running backs on this team, and then I'm not going to have to worry about my running backs – and then if I'm wrong about that one thing, then I'm wrong about that one. It's sort of like DFS. You're trying to limit the number of things you have to get right. But you're picking yep. one thing. You're not saying I'm going to be right about everything. My early receivers, my early tight ends, QBs, running backs are all going to be perfect because it just – it will not happen. Right. And it's Corbin, like in D- I, I got to get I got to give one more note to Corbin. He said – those are the words from Kitchen through that draft, <laughs> and I, I picked that up from, from Bullock as well. I did not realize – so Kitchen said live a little the way that I was interpreting. I turned off, I turned off the stream because he couldn't figure out how to use the I spike mean, It's tools. so much better than he, I we, thought I was giving Corbin <laughs> shit, but I was giving Kitchen's Kitchen. argument shit. <laughs> I, I I can't remember what the kitchen thing was. I I tuned in for most of most of the episode and and turned it out because K- Kitchen couldn't figure out how to like pull up the Spike Week rankings because he's a boomer. It was literally his first his first draft. He messaged me like a half hour before the Swolecast went live. He was like, "Hey, can you give me access to the Spike Week stuff?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll do it. Whatever." And he couldn't figure it out. And so they're like, what rankings do you have in here? And he's like, well, they're ETR, but I adjusted them. They're like, you work for a company that has a best ball product and you don't. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, well, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. So anyway, um, that was funny. But that's like my favorite thing. This whole kind of like, not necessarily just like draft as if you're right, but like we're in this weird spot, right? Where people are starting to, as you said, the oscillations and people are definitely getting smarter but like sometimes we're misapplying things or we're like we're all living in this bubble right i mean you and i both live in this in this bubble you do ship chasing shows and you talk with sean you talk with smart people i talk with smart people and it's like it's easy to get caught up with those people and be yeah. like this is the consensus yeah right when when the reality is just like uh how about we just like do the right thing and realize that like the bubble that we're in is all doing the right thing and we're taking the money from everybody else. Right. That's a, that's a hard one for sure. Cause that happens. The more you hear, it's just a natural psychological thing. The more you hear it and you're the people you're talking to, you definitely think that it's more known than it is. I get caught on that a lot. Um, oh, I was going to say something about this kitchen thing. Again. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what it was or maybe it was something else you said, but no, I, I I have definitely felt uh, what you were just describing for sure. Okay, 
we're we're about 42 minutes in we talked a lot about best ball i hope you guys have enjoyed the best ball conversation i'm forcing i'm forcing the conversation now now away here's what here's what we're gonna do we're gonna lead off into the segue into uh ben's non-fantasy football life start bench cut jake locker is it jake browning and let's go. I'm trying to think of another uh, Washington quarterback off the top of my head. Um, what is it? Marcus Tuiasosopo? Is oh, that the? Is that yeah. The, okay. Is that is that? The, let, let's go. Let's go with those two. Because Browning won. Sit. Browning won. Locker was obviously the 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 high draft pick, and Tuiasosopo yeah. was closer to our was closer to our uh, our time frame. Yes, Tuiasosopo. I saw in the 2001 Rose Bowl. Keith Bowl. Price. John says Keith Price. We'll throw. You can. Uh, I'll throw four. Start bench cut. Um and whatever a fourth a fourth thing thing would be um is Keith Price if you want to throw Keith Price in there I don't, I'm gonna ignore Keith Price because okay I, know, I think I think I drank through those years Tuiasa Sopo <laughs> was a guy that uh I saw at, in, in sort of like my formative years as, as well and I remember going to games with my brother and we would we had a little song we we're like Tuiasa Sopo Tuiasa <laughs> Because so Brock Heward was our quarterback and he got hurt. And Tui ah, Sopo yep. came in in a game. And that's when we developed this song. The game that Tui came in, he played incredible. And then he went on to lead us to the Rose Bowl the next year. He was the first college quarterback to ever throw for 300 yards and rush for 200 in a game against Stanford that yep. season. Dude was uh, ran sort of the option offense, very physical, but a good passer as well. Easy start for me on, on any oh, of those four. Easy I start. I love it. I love he's it. my he it. one of my all time favorites. Marcus Turios. So that was more the heyday of, of Washington football. I I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna cut both. Well, I don't know who. I, what is it? Keep trade cut. Start bench cut. So one Start, of them gets benched. Bench, the other one gets cut. cut. Locker and so Browning um, took us to the college football playoff. That's why I put him in. That's I why I put hated him Jake Browning. Oh, I hated him. <laughs> I was not a fan. He got worse every year. He had this nasty habit of taking his head, like he was kind of skittish in the pocket of taking his eyes down from from downfield, and then even when the pressure wasn't there, couldn't get them back up and get the ball down the field. We we turned into a pretty run heavy offense with a good defense, which was part of the reason that we made the college football playoff. That was the heyday of like Washington's become known as like DBU. Like our secondary yeah. was really really good. We like completely shut down some decent Mike Leach, Washington State passing offenses those years. Our D was really, really good. I saw Locker versus Nebraska in Nebraska back in the day. That was a great atmosphere. Flew out to Nebraska for an, a non-conference game. Uh, probably also saw him versus Nebraska in Washington. Locker was fun. But Locker was always overhyped. He had a cannon arm. I'm going to put Locker on my bench. He was fun. He was a gamer. Uh, would run the people loved how good his arm was. That guy missed more open deep runners on deep <laughs> shots by 10 yards than anyone you've ever seen. Like when he got drafted in the top 10, I was like, You guys are fucking in for it. <laughs> and he ended up retiring. But I mean, accuracy to me is a huge, huge element in terms of projecting college quarterbacks forward. And yeah, even in college, when clean pockets, dude could not hit like wide open runners, like down the middle of the field. He's out overthrowing them. It's like he just gave up a 70 yard touchdown, underthrown by 10 yards. Take the 50 yard gain, let the DB catch up. Do not overthrow him. 
and he would he would miss on some stuff like that. But I always liked Locker a lot. I'll take him as my bench guy. I'm going to cut Browning, even though he took us to the college football playoff. Took us. I think he held us back, frankly. I think he was good, but never really developed, never got better. And Washington could have been better in that era if he could have played a little bit better quarterback. And Keith okay, Price then, was just sort of like a two-year starter that wasn't next. Yeah, follow. He he followed up the Locker era, right? Was what uh, was what he did. Yeah, he was the bridge. Maybe he was only a one-year starter, bridge between Locker and Browning. I think, if I'm not mistaken. Th- looks like three. He started three, three, two and a half years, three years, two years. Okay, three years. Two, two and two. And, yeah, something something like that. So then, so then the the follow-up question. That's 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 literally my college. Uh, and I, I, I wasn't just like trying to remember the players. I was actually playing. And okay, so this is the, just after I was out of college. Keith Bryce, so, yeah, twenty ten to twenty thirteen. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't remember these teams. So then, what? So then, if you had to put a not a start bench cut, but if you had to put a top three of your oh, right, this favorite, is the Sarkeesian era. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, Sark. Definitely. Keith uh, Price was Sark. Yeah, it blocked that whole era out of my head. Sark was it? So did Sark. So yeah. did Sark. I had uh, we had Sark was at a bar right after he got hired. We were stoked, and we went. Sark in. was at a bar. No yeah, fucking way. Surprised. We went in <laughs> to the Ram in in New Village for anyone who knows Seattle, and uh, went back to the bar, and we saw Sark and one of his assistants sitting at the bar, and we we're like back in the bar. There's booths in the back, and then there's the actual like you know circular bar here. We're sitting in one of the booths, and we're like. That's awesome, dude. Like that's Steve Sarkeesian. He just got hired. This is so cool. Me and my buddy were talking about it. Like, okay, we're gonna send him a drink. So we send him a drink, gets it delivered, turns it down. So it's looking around. They get up and leave. Like, no, no kidding. Like 30 seconds later. We're like, okay. Hey, welcome to UW. <laughs> like, we're just oh, we, we told him to tell him from Husky Nation or something, you know, like, hey, yeah. welcome to welcome to Washington. I think we're the only ones who recognize this is who the guy was because no one else was. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're the only ones who are douchey enough to bother him, but <laughs> he was not having it. He was like, I don't want to be seen in this bar, which wasn't like a college bar. It's like a restaurant. It's like fine that he was in there having a beer, this, yeah. you know, happy hour or whatever. This is before his, you know, uh, his, all his drinking issues came to light. But um, I was from then on, I was just like, okay, well, that wasn't very cool. He could have just like gave a wave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't come over and talk to you, you know? I'll be honest. I'm mostly excited about the fact that you just told the story of the only drink that Steve Sarkeesian has ever right. turned down in his right. life came from. The game. <laughs> I think that's accurate. I mean, shout, obviously, shout out to Stark for getting his life together. We're not trying to make like super serious jokes, but it's funny. It's uh, it's funny. Dude, so the day what... USC gave him a huge contract to take him from UW, we were pumped. The whole UW community was like, we were going to fire him like yeah. within a year. And and they like signed. It was like you. Usually your 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 coach gets signed away. You're like, or hired away. You're like, ah, our program's a stepping stone. This and that. We were like, what is USC doing? <laughs> oh man, the comments are always always very good. So what about uh, uh, how we got to this point? We talked obviously a little bit about some of the the Washington stuff, but like you you went to Washington and then. You end up writing a. Uh, I, I always joke about this with like, be, like, so like we had a uh, neighborhood get together for the Fourth of July, 
and like you know it's people that well we have a it's a military community so there's a lot of like also high rank like there's like generals and shit that are at like our neighbor which is like really uncomfortable because i'm like oh yeah i just ate a bunch of hot dogs on a fantasy football stream uh and he's like yeah i'm giving out military commands in the air force or whatever um it's a very kind of we have, we live different lives needless to say but like you know it's it's, it's accountants and and people that whatever how did you get from where where you know going to school at at washington to now writing you know a fantasy football newsletter and talking about fantasy football for a living um i mean it's a fairly quick story because i graduated with a finance degree in 09 and the global financial collapse was in 08 for anyone who is <laughs> heard of that uh you know maybe see the big short or something kind of a big deal right so i had in my senior year of getting a finance degree at uw which is a good good business school supposed to be really great at helping you with job placement and everything uh i had a teacher throw away a textbook and tell us it was garbage and that we needed to get a subscription to the wall street journal and it would become a current events class i had another teacher literally take a call from an ap reporter and put him on speaker put the gal on speaker's phone and he was like she's been calling me all week didn't want to talk to her because he had written about the mortgage-backed security crisis like two oh, years prior and really? no one cared when he wrote about it until the global collapse and so he was like pissed that reporters then wanted to comment because they had went and researched and found that this his name was alan hess that Shout out, you know, Professor Alan Hess. Guy was like one of the big <laughs> names at. Uh, That's crazy. And I found the article. I remember I found the paper, you know, after the class or whatever. He was a, a, a one of the you know most tenured professors in the UW business school at the time. Uh, had had literally basically predicted the collapse. He's one of the people that sort of saw it coming, and he so he put the gal on speakerphone. And he's like, "This is going to be your lesson today." He let her know that the class was there. But it was like the rudest I've ever heard anyone be to anyone. He was cutting her off. He was like, no, you don't understand. And he was just like berating her for like 90 minutes. And that was our class for the day. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my life. Hearing someone who clearly understood what was happening. Tell a reporter who was just trying to get quotes and things. And she was yeah. like super apologetic and everything. And it was, I mean, it was a little bit like rude. Definitely. I mean, more than a little bit rude. It was a fascinating uh, experience. Uh, sorry if anyone who knows Alan has this listening because uh, I'm not trying to disparage the man too much, but it was a. I just a watched Margin time. Call. I just watched Margin Call the other yet the other day again for. Uh, but I've watched The Big Short a ton. I have a finance degree as well. It's similar similar uh, time frame to you. Where you're one year older than me, so we're we we went through the exact same the exact same thing, and so like the, yeah. that whole era is like just so fascinating. Yeah. So when I when I left college, <clears throat> you know the career center. I don't even think I went and talked to the career center. I think I heard this from people in class. It was depressing my senior year. It was like, what am I doing? Like my teachers were like, you guys are, you're all screwed. Like none of, none of what we've taught you matters anymore. The entire financial rules are being rewritten. It was yeah. like, they were letting us know that. And, then, and they're like, you're so screwed because the people that are going to come and bind you, they're going to be younger than you with a finance degree four years from now are going to know more than you by like miles, right? And then the yeah. other people that are already in jobs are in better situation. It was a, I mean, I, you know, I'm playing, playing the world's smallest violin for myself right now, but it was like <laughs> a really bad time to graduate with a finance degree. Yes, like, it really was. So the career center told somebody and, and I heard that like there was like one third of the job listings. I mean, you had literal financial institutions closing their doors. You had Lehman Brothers collapsing. You had, you know, all the, 
my brother at the time worked at PricewaterhouseCooper and they were, uh, he was so pumped because he had just graduated prior to me with a finance degree that they were not going to lay one off, but they were putting a company-wide hiring freeze on. Like, so all of these good jobs in the finance industry, they weren't there anymore. They were putting hiring freezes, if not laying people off, right? Uh, so I went and worked for a credit union for a little while, small business, was just kind of kicking around, not being able to use my uh, degree for much and not really enjoying stuff. And I've always been super passionate about sports. I always, you know, when I was a kid, when people asked me, what are you going to be when you grow up? Back then it was sports agent because of Jerry Maguire. You know, you'd always say, I'm going to be a sports Good agent. Good one. That was the way that you worked in sports. Or people would say, because I love to talk a lot and I was a loud kid, I'd be a sports announcer someday, right? Like those <laughs> are the things. Because I was super, super into sports. I was still really into it. I enjoyed it. Um, I actually applied to be a PFF game charter and got approved and like did really well in their approval process. But, you know, some of the stuff that off season leading into what was going to be my first year as like a grunt there, like wasn't adding up well for me. Um, felt like it was a little exploitative to be completely honest. And so I, while I was still like planning to do that, I reached out to, I saw some comments from Rotoviz. I was starting to read Rotoviz. I found Rotoviz in 2014 reached out to the fancy douche who used to run it and wrote him this long thing that was like, here's everything I think about fantasy, like egregiously wrong, long, like the, not (laughs) the way to get anyone to read what you have to write. And he is just like the goat at everything. And he, so he read the whole thing. He came back. He's like, let's do this. Why don't you come up with one topic? And the first piece of advice he gave me, I still think about to this day, which I'm still bad at. Don't try to solve every problem in fantasy in, in one article. Come up yeah. with a very direct and clear topic and, and write something. And I like wrote it that night. I was like, I'm doing this tonight. Like, and I sent it back. Uh, it was why CJ Spiller was going to be the new elite receiving back for the New Orleans Saints <laughs> in the Sean Payton mold. They published it like two days later. It got like a ton of views. It got like like over 10,000 views. I couldn't believe it. I was getting like paid splits, like, cause they have the system set up there where if you, even if right. you're a new writer, I'm like, I just made a few hundred bucks off an article that I like, what just happened? And so that mm-hmm. I, I dumped the PFF thing. Cause they were like, Hey, we'd love to have you write for us more. We really like the way that you put this together. I wrote from the 2015 year, 2016, they asked me to be an editor in January, just a few months later to be an editor and be a part of the team um, that was helping to kind of formulate the content and, you know, be like content managing, uh, at Rotoviz. And so then I was there for a couple of years while still working the, the small business job. But like, you know, it was just going well and I was enjoying it. There's a f- several times where I was not thinking that I was going to do this long term. And, it, you know, this industry is very competitive in terms of, I think a lot of people think that once you get to certain spots that you're making a lot more money than you actually are in this industry. It's a, it's a competitive in- industry in that regard as well, where because so many people want to do it, not a lot of sites are paying tons and tons of money. And that's just a reality for anyone who's out there that wants to, you know, think about building their life around being a, you know, a, a fantasy sports content producer. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just started uh, growing that stuff and then eventually, you know, came to Rotogrinders for the year, did fantasy insiders for the year that it was a, um, a redraft site which didn't you know, didn't really hit any of our expectations not what we were all expecting but uh i th- i was really proud of the content we put out i worked with kitchen really closely we, we did some awesome stuff that year it just you know didn't necessarily 
reach the same like audiences. I mean, it was a little bit of a tough thing. We decided to transition away from that. I went to CBS as well, then the next off season. And so uh, getting the opportunity, obviously to be at CBS was huge and helped launch then me going off on my own. And, and so, I mean, I joke in my newsletter, like I, people are like, Oh, you've built this whole thing on your own. And everyone loves to talk about how they bet on themselves. People like to have those threats. Like I'm an entrepreneur by happenstance. I did not intend yeah. this. I don't think I do the background stuff. Well, I don't think I'm like, you know, I know every, I'm not like, you know, like Bales, for example, is like the, the fantasy sports entrepreneur who's incredible at everything, all the decisions he makes, everything he touches turn to, turns to gold. And I mean that genuinely Bales is a, a brilliant dude. I love chatting with him whenever I get a chance to, I'm the opposite of that. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's how I wound up here, man. How has it been going to, you know, kind of a, a full-time entrepreneur stealing signals? Obviously you're doing work with Rotoviz. You have the ship chasing thing or whatever, but how has that, how has that life been? You know? So I, for, for background, obviously you and I have worked together, but I left, and I don't know if, if everyone I've told this story, but I don't know if anybody in the chat has known. So I let, I worked at Boeing out of out of out of high school or out of college and uh, in the like the finance area, moved around a little bit. Anyway, end up leaving Boeing to start this uh, startup, which was in the fantasy sports space. That startup did not succeed, but it led me to meeting. I, I met Cal Spears there. I met Cam McMillan. I met Evan Silva. I met. Levitan. I met all those people through that experience. There was, it was, we actually hosted show. We were before like Slack and Discord and all that stuff existed. That's what we were trying to build was like a community chat tool or whatever. And so, like, we were doing like the content thing with like, like Silva and Davis were doing shows, our shows, because we were, I mean, we were paying them obviously, but it was like I met all these guys through that. That thing did not succeed, but that led me into a job at Roto Grinders. And it was like that experience has like changed my life. And I operate now in a very similar way. Obviously, I'm, I'm still within a corporate construct within Better Collective and everything. But like I've been blessed enough to like, I, I mean, I'm kind of like operating a startup from within this this bit, this big company. And so uh, I like to hear people like you, like, how is how is that like experience for you? How are you, you know, like your day to day? How are you pushing yourself to continue to grow and all that, all that fun stuff? Well, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm the best one to, I mean, I, I can tell you what my day to day is like. It's like it's constantly trying to balance being a, a dad and a content producer, basically. Like, so I have two kids that are growing. Um, yeah. Part of the reason, like, when I was in that kind of transition period and I wound up doing this, I could have gone back and got a, a master's in something or a, a secondary education. Uh, both my siblings did, both my parents did. I mean, I'm the only one in my family who didn't, <laughs> but I, I had kids um, kind of young. And so part of it was because I had kids already. I had a daughter already. And mm -hmm. She's 11 now. She's incredible, but she's 11 now. Like she's a uh, smart as hell. Like she, she wants yeah. to hang she's out. She's smarter than you. She's, yeah, she's smarter than, smarter than me. <laughs> Um, but and so I have two daughters and my wife and all three of them are smarter than me. And I'm so blessed to have three, three women to, to keep me in line. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, um, it, it really is a, a blast. They, um, but I, I want to carve out as much time for my kids as I can. I don't really see them a lot from like September to December, <laughs> like as much as I should. I mean, yeah. obviously we live in the same house, but like 
I mean, when I'm writing stealing signals, dad doesn't really leave his office all day, Monday and Tuesday uh, or Sunday. Cause he's watching all the games in his office. And so it's like a four day week, but also I'm doing all the other stuff that I need to do during the four day week. It's, it's tough. And so in the off season, at the end of the year, for sure, I'm trying to spend as much time with them while also trying to balance what you said. I want to make sure I'm doing the things that are giving my business enough room to succeed if it can and trying to have different conversations um, and think through things and build things out and, and did a lot of that this off season. Um, you know, still spending a lot of time podcasting. I, I would say one of the things that I enjoy the most is, you know, certainly that there's more freedom to kind of pick your projects. I always loved pretty much everyone I ever worked with in this industry has been really fantastic, but um, you know, I loved the CBS team. I didn't want to leave there. Those are great dudes over there. But like getting the opportunity now to pod with Sean twice a week, pod with Pat and Pete, do the show with you during the season. People that I really enjoy talking with and working with uh, was, was I mean, just an incredible thing last year and, and has been this year. Um, and then as far as like like writing or all of that or the newsletter, I mean, honestly, I don't think I'm doing a good enough job with like growing it or anything. But I do have this built-in benefit that I keep hearing you know, sort of a positive buzz about from my subscribers that is like, I only write about the stuff that I want to write about. And they seem to like that when they get something from me, it's something that I wanted to write about. And basically anywhere else, there are some demands in the content industry where it's like, you got to hit on some temples, you got to hit on sleepers or this or that or whatever. And a lot of that I think is a little bit outdated in terms of how we're actually looking at stuff in the industry most of my subscribers are going to be at least a little bit plugged in. Obviously a lot of the, the sleepers and those types of things are for people that are less plugged in that are just looking for some answers the day of their draft. Um, so that stuff has to be done because the content numbers support it. Believe me, I've been in the content managing spots at a lot of different sites. you got to do that kind of stuff in the big sites, but when you are off on your own, like I am, there's a lot more freedom to just do it how you think helps people be better at fantasy football. So that's the biggest thing that I would say in terms of actually like running the business though, like, I mean, I don't do a ton. <laughs> like I don't, I'm not doing as much as I should. I'm not marketing it. Well, Substack does a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. A lot of it's yeah. automated. It's not like, I mean, people like to glamorize that stuff. I, I could, I'm, I'm not going to lie about it. Like it's, I'm pretty hands off with it, honestly, for somebody who's running their own business at least. Yeah. Um, it is, it is funny, um, obviously, running running a site. There are 100%, you know, the holy grails that, uh, that, that you have to hit. But I will also wholeheartedly agree that, like, I mean, like, why, why, why your Substack exists, why Stealing Bananas exists, and why, like, the Spike Week tools and stuff exist are all for the same reason. It's like we're all setting out to solve a problem that like, this is a fucking problem that I have like in my personal fantasy football play, my life, this problem exists. I'm going to solve it or solve it the best way. I think I know how, and hopefully other people like it. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's what you're writing something that you're like, this is, I think something that I'm trying to figure out yeah. that I'm trying to learn. And, and theoretically, then the other people are also following along because they they want to learn the same thing that you're learning. That's a, that's the best, in my opinion. Maybe, it's maybe not the best. Like if we want to, if you and I both want to become billionaires, <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's the best. But it's the best but content from a from a consumption perspective. I so the the becoming billionaires thing. Some of the the people that are 
doing that and growing these major media things are just wired different than I am. And I've, I've learned to like respect that. And I think that those are skills and, and, and props to them. Some of them, I don't think are helping the industry. You know, I mean, we, we joke about like the council and stuff like that. Some of those guys that have massive followings that, you know, then I, when people find out that I do fancy sports for a living, that's the type of person that sometimes people are associating with that job. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I'm a little bit different than that. I don't, I don't really know how to explain how I'm. Have you tried that. eating hot dogs on a stream instead to see if people will take you seriously? <laughs> Who did that? Yeah, that or doesn't work. Also, if you're, have you tried just, that? Just in case you're curious, yes, we did it. Are you not aware of this? No. Are, are you actually not aware of this? I'm okay. actually not aware. So I've been on vacation the last couple. Was my, it recent? That's true. Yeah, for Fourth of July, Rob, King Coke, Rob Coakley, and myself did a best ball hot dog eating contest draft <laughs> where we had to eat a hot dog for every pick that we made and see how long Why? we could go. Essentially, I don't know, because we're idiots. And, <laughs> and, you had to eat a whole uh, hot dog? Was it 30-second clock? Was it underdog? It was drafters, okay. And it, which, which, which seems like, oh, maybe that's better. Well, it's 20 rounds as opposed to 18 so there's a couple extra we did not make it over there we did not make it no it's just i don't know why we did this ben i wish i could tell you i don't have a really good How explanation you eat a hot dog between 30 second clock picks well i mean you you take a pick like so we we drafted one team together between the two of us and uh yeah i ivan knows ivan was watching you and we would each eat a hot dog so one team like so like you and i are on the clock yeah. We got to eat a hot dog before our next pick yeah. comes back around. And um, it was actually really easy for like four rounds or so. Sure. And then that shit really starts to settle in your stomach. Yeah. And it, that was one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had in my entire life. But <laughs> to your point, in terms of uh, if you want people to take you seriously, right? We like to make fun of the counselor and everything. Don't let, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. One of the most miserable experiences I've ever had in my life. I imagine <laughs> recorded, recorded on YouTube for everyone to see if they Dude, would like. All I'm, of that I'm, stuff I'm sounds pacing so much around my house. Have you ever done like uh you know 20 cent wing night or whatever? And you're like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna eat 50 wings. Like, fuck no, you're not. <laughs> I know I, <laughs> I can I put down food. I think I made I, it to 20. <laughs> I said that coming into there. I said, I think I can do 10. I was like, I think I can do 10 because the same thing. So like I've been I've been an athlete my whole life, like eating way too. Like I've just been in like crazy yeah. metabolism. Right. I still struggle with like I eat too much. Right, it's too. like yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a huge problem for me. So I'm like, I'm not gonna eat. I can put down some fucking hot dogs. Hell I'm yeah. like, let's let's do this. I got like uh, there. It's recorded. You can just, people can go watch it. I we got like four in, and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> my body does not agree. I'm like, this is I was wrong. I was so oh, this is terrible. Man. I was so wrong. So uh, yeah. Anyway, we're trying to do some fun creative content, but in terms of people taking you se- taking you ser- more serious than the counselor, I don't. I'm probably not the best person to talk. Yeah. To. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. So yeah, I, I mean, I think the point I was making with him was just like there are people that are really good at those skills at marketing it, at growing it. <clears throat> I learned pretty early on that those the marketing and all that was not my skills. The analysis was stuff that people attached to. So I, I try to, I mean, essentially when I try to like market it, I come across way too, like I'm marketing, you know, the whole yeah. thing with marketing is you're trying to come across uh, like you're not marketing. 
conversational like, conversational yeah. yeah but i mean all of this stuff is packaged right like even the people that are like you asked me like how everything's going as an entrepreneur i could have packaged it up and been like oh these are the things i'm working on and this and that you hear that stuff sometimes i mean you hear that stuff from people who are also saying things like it's you know it's better to delegate and something and so they like really like they, <laughs> they found people that are doing this stuff for them you know what yep. i mean and like yep. that's yeah, that's a piece of advice I give. I've I've found people that have helped me in a lot of different ways throughout, you know, working on my own. It's good to to have connections and, and have people that you trust. And but anyway, I'm not gonna sit here and like lie. Like I I learned pretty much early on that I can't be like I've kind of been this way since I was a kid. Like I, I can't be like a I'm not like a good BSer. I can't like come up with like understandable lies. <laughs> like I sound like I'm lying. I almost sound worse. Yeah. Like it's really, <laughs> yeah. so I'm just like, I'm just going to be pretty honest about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this, this is what I'm doing. This is whatever. So anyway, with my, with my work, the thing that's carried it that I, you know, think is, is pretty great is the actual work is the analysis. And, and you were talking about, right. Like doing the things that you actually care about. Like, I also think that's more sustainable right? Like there's times yeah. where I'm, I'm saying like, how long am I going to write about fantasy football for? How, how long am I going to do this? But even when I need a little break, I can take a little break. And then when I have stuff that I, I'm always interested in football is the thing, right? And then especially when football season comes around, like it has been something that has kind of driven, uh, you know, my life since I was a kid. I, I've been a huge fan of it. I used to go to the Husky games every, every week and watch Marcus Tuiasa Sopo. I mean, it's just, it's a passion of mine. I played, you, you talked about playing softball. I used to play flag football a ton. I won the Seattle city flag football championship one year. I mean, and I used to sit in those college classes and drop flag football plays. Like that was it at that time. Yeah. That was the most important thing in the world to be was my flag football team. Right. And so there, it, it is a passion of mine. And as long as I'm never like, at least over these last couple of years, not necessarily being forced to write, Stuff, or not, I shouldn't say forced, but I'm not writing stuff that I kind of like need to because it's a job. It has been a lot easier for me to be like, okay, these are the things that I actually want to write about. This is what I'm really interested in. This is what I think moves the needle, like you were describing. And then, you know, as far as like marketing it or making it as big as it can get or making the most money. Yeah, maybe I'm not, but it has been growing my newsletter and it's been growing, I think, largely because I have been staying in that lane and been yeah. and willing to be like, I'm doing the stuff that I'm good at and that, that I enjoy. And the readers are, are relating to that. Right. And right. so it's more sustainable for me. It's more sustainable for the readers. I think I'm giving better advice as a whole, right. I'm not putting in fluff. That's probably not moving the needle. That's then they have to try to figure out what actually is helpful. Most of the, I think a pretty high percentage of the stuff that I write is going to be somewhat helpful or, it's me thinking about things that are going to be helpful, but maybe we'll in, hopefully inspire someone else to come up with something that they can apply, which is, you know, kind of the approach that I take sometimes. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, like the way that it's set up and then, and then on the side, I'm doing these shows with people that I enjoy talking to like you and, and Pat and Pete and Sean and that I'm like legitimately friends with. And we hang out for an hour after the show and just chat and shoot the shit <laughs> like, you know, weekly. I mean, it's a pretty like that's the way to do it in my opinion. You know, yeah, this is the, the best time I've had in the industry over these last couple of years. Is just even if it isn't the best way to get huge, like we said, like the the whole marketing and doing the threads on Twitter and all that is what I should be doing. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me I should be taking screenshots of paragraphs from my my newsletter and, and throwing them on Twitter and being like, go subscribe. And I agree, and I still should be doing that. I'm still not doing it because I don't want to. I just want to write when I think something's interesting, 
and then talk to people who have thoughts about it. And, you know, again, it's, I'm trying to get back to like the, the concept of if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Cause there was a period of time for sure in this industry where I was doing stuff that I loved, but it was work. It was work and it was, yep. it was in at times sort of starting to ruin, not ruin fantasy football, but make football season tougher for me, for sure. It was, it was a lot of work sometimes. Um, and I'm, I'm somebody who like, I, I don't like to fail. So I would grind the job aspect of it so hard that it would, it would push me to my brink a little bit, but now there's a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a balance, a little bit more of the enjoyment is back. And and I think people are enjoying that on the other side as well that are consuming it. That's, that's, that's exactly how I feel. Um, the last two, well, you know, last year, let's call it the last two draft cycles have been just absolutely incredible. And I think um, not necessarily as much my time in, in fantasy sports. I've definitely had times where like um, there was, there was a stretch a few years ago where I was writing a daily NBA article for rotor grinders that like by late, like I, it was actually my idea. So I have no one to blame it myself. Um, but like by later in the, the, the NBA season, you know, that's a long grind uh the entire nba season where i'm writing this 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 piece that was really you know uh took my whole day basically to write this one article where i was like it wasn't fun anymore it was it was it was definitely work and i also come from after uh, i mentioned like that startup not not working i met you know it led me to to this job but there was a time period where I, it wasn't like it happened the moment i shut my startup down it was like i had to find another job in between there and i i went to a place that uh literally was the most miserable experience of my entire life i dreaded going to work every single day i dreaded like every minute that i was there and it wasn't like a you know some people would think i'm privileged i guess probably it wasn't the world's worst job in the world i wasn't like you know, cleaning sewers or whatever, but like, I hate, I hated my life for like a year or whatever. And so you start to appreciate this, this, right. Like, like you said, um, I remember we did the, the NFL draft Thursday night NFL draft show, right. Ship chasing did a, a, an NFL draft show. And, um, like I came on and, and I did, I did a couple other spots on a couple other shows and like, I came back and I was like, I don't know. This is just fun for me. Yeah, like, I'm not. Getting <laughs> this is fit. where I want to hang out the rest of this I'm, the draft. I'm, I'm like, I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna go pour some whiskey. I'm probably gonna get too drunk, and let's talk about the uh, the football. You know, right. like, and we hung and we hung out till midnight yeah. or whatever. What were you gonna watched, be doing anyway? Watching yeah, the draft and like yeah, wanting to talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, I want to talk to people that are like these are my friends. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, it's like, and we hung out afterwards, and I bought a fucking Jameson Williams jersey unknowingly. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. You know, I didn't, I didn't know because I drank too much. It, it was like, you know, but that, that's the whole thing. And that's what I like about what, what, what you're doing with, with stealing signals, what you guys are doing with stealing business, obviously what you guys are doing with ship chasing, what we're trying to do with spike week is just like, let's just create a place where everybody like, this is fucking fun for everybody. Hopefully yeah. a bunch of us are going to make money, right? We all can't win $2 million, but like, hopefully a bunch of us are going to make money, but like. The whole point of this is like we all enjoy this. We wouldn't be doing this. Like I, you and I wouldn't be talking here on July what, what is July 13th if we weren't like just passionate yeah. about this space. So like let's make it as fun for everybody as possible and then turn it into also hopefully a profitable. But also you know, yeah, be be I mean sort of be good at what you do. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. so I I credit ship chasing with a lot of this evolution for me and, and Pat and Peter are, are 
awesome dudes. I started working with them in 2020 for a long time. I think part of the reason I uh, had a hard, like maybe like a hard time in the industry or whatever, was that I took my analysis too seriously, right? I, I took myself too seriously. I wanted it to be so good. I wanted it to be the best. I'm very competitive about it. And it's finding this, this fun balance that you're talking about, not worrying about like slip ups when you're talking about stuff, not, you know, not stressing yeah. about things that don't actually really matter. And getting a chance to, to stream with those guys every week, I think, was a big part of that because those guys are so good at just like making it fun, you know, and and, and having a good time. Um, and then I think that has, you know, been a mindset that has developed more for me. And I've, you know, had it more, I think, in my writing and some other stuff, hopefully, where like, you know, what, why are we doing this other than, than to have a good time? And, not to take yourself too seriously for me. Like I remember actually having some conversations with Pat and Pete was like, I, I mean, I'll, without trying to be like, Oh yeah, my analysis is amazing. But people have often said my analysis is pretty good. Right. But I felt like I didn't communicate it particularly well. Uh, and, and certainly this balance between like good analysis and entertaining, like you're talking about, cause there's some people that are just like, Oh, we're going to make this really fun. But the advice they give is terrible. And like right. you're just leading everyone into a ditch. Like you're, you're yep. leading, you know, the lambs to slaughter. Like, yeah, cool. It's fun. But like everyone who's listening to you for fantasy football advice is going to lose their league. Like, I'm sorry. Yep. Right. And so for me, the balance was always way too far on the analytical side. And so one of the big things that I learned with ship chasing, I had some conversations with them and, and has like been a really natural fit is like, just try to have more fun with it. Your analysis <laughs> is good enough that even if it's not perfectly sharp and you're not worried about getting it, you know, exact, it's going to carry you, you know what I mean? Like yep. it's going to be good enough just intermingled with, but like, just have a good time, you know? And so, I mean, I think that's a, a big part of it. I mean, there's always people that give advice on like how to, how to do well in this industry, this and that. I, I'm not the person to give that advice. I didn't take, you know, like the right path. I don't think I took the right approach at first and any of that. I think having a good time, finding people that you enjoy doing it with, trying to find ways that the work you're doing is more sustainable. Um, yeah. As opposed to just like you're, you feel like you're grinding all the time. Like you were describing that nine to five job, you know, creating content again, just like you were saying in that job, like it's very privileged to be like, oh, creating content and doing fancy football stuff is is hard. It's not. Everyone else that is listening to this is working a harder job, almost certainly. <laughs> yeah. But it can be a grind and it can wear you down. And you do get a lot of feedback from anonymous people and you get, you know, told you're an idiot sometimes. And there's a lot of those elements as well. And so sometimes. Yeah, trying to trying to find ways to make it as sustainable as possible is usually the advice that I try to give people. I think that's the best advice you can. Yeah, I totally totally agree. I think that's why there's been a lot of good, um, just general like crossover. Why, uh, obviously, we totally ruined the entire best ball market last year, so that was part of why there was good crossover between say Spike Week and uh, and ship chasing uh, with the the wide receiver just uh, avalanche that happened afterwards. But it's it's this it's the same idea. That's what I believe in. Um, that's what you guys believe in. I think that's where um, the success of this industry is headed. As you as you mentioned, the yeah. um, ability to have people show up at uh, five p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday afternoon and just want to listen to us hang out and shoot the shit is is I don't, I'm not I'm not trying to uh, put anything on a on a podium or whatever. Uh, a podium or a totem pole or whatever the fucking phrase is, podium. but like uh, podium is that a? Yeah, I don't that's, know. that's what you said. Is it? No, that's it what you said, and then you yeah. made it into podium. podium. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're fucking an hour and twenty minutes into this. I'm making up words now. <laughs> uh, 
but I'm, you know, like the, the ability to entertain is part of it and not even just entertain like, oh, you have to be this com- comedian or whatever, but just like be a place that people want to hang out. Right. That's what ship chasing is, in my yeah. opinion, a p- place that people want to hang out. And I think that is important while also doing the the requisite, right? There's an ante to the game that is we're going to give you good advice. You don't have to agree with everything, but we're going to give you generally good, good advice. And um, I think that's where this industry is headed. So that's why I'm very excited. That's why I was excited to talk to talk to you. Um, I've held you for I've held you for long enough. I've held the pedestal. Thank you guys. Yeah, but for, it, is for, not felt, it has not felt like an hour 20. This has been a, a blast, man. Yeah. I mean, mostly let me sit here and talk about myself the whole time. So that, that's apparently podium is what came to my mind when i was trying to think of uh yeah you said podium and then you said podium and then you said totem and you meant pedestal literally every other word and a not a real word um uh and eventually and eventually got there thanks thanks to you corbin ben i am gonna do the thing where i'm like what actually what actually as a writing the newsletter and stuff what are you going to be doing like leading up to the i know what you're going to be doing in season what are you going to be doing leading up to the season now i'm about to start doing yeah i'm about to start doing the offseason stealing signals posts which are pretty in-depth division by division um or i think i i last year did like the afc and nfc east together so i did like four posts because i when i get going i like to kind of grind them out uh division by division takeaways a lot of that is based on the projections that i've done Anyone mm. who reads this stuff knows that I don't draft off my project projections. It's just more of a research process for me. And I, I, I really kind of enjoy trying to come to that statistical equation of what this team's going to look like from a play volume perspective and what all the you know pass and run numbers are going to be receiving numbers, targets, everything. It gives me a really good grasp of what I think the range of outcomes is for various oper- you know situations. Right. Yeah. Again, talking about uncertainty always, but going through the process of trying to do one projection is like a huge part of my research. And I've just like never, never stopped um, doing the projections, even though I don't really care about the end result and I don't update them after I do them. And I always make this clear, like I'll release them, but I'm not going to sit and update them until week one and enter them into some competition or anything. I don't care. Like I'm not, they're not to be accurate, frankly, they're just sort of, um, you know, what I think is the most likely scenario in, in some cases. Right. But the actual write-ups will be, you know, pretty thorough and in-depth in terms of what I see about the players and the way the market's viewing those players and where there's a lot of opportunity. That'll be a lot of fun. That's a, a lot of work. That'll be most of the rest of the month. Definitely we'll have rankings coming. Last year I had sort of a list of posts that were one-off posts that I wanted to do. I have at least four or five that I know I want to write Um in in the coming weeks and months but also i'll be doing some draft reviews of my own teams talking through strategy stuff always do some strategy uh what i'm worried about this year is because i wrote a ton last year in july and august like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff in the archives at the newsletter i'm worried about um just rewriting everything you know what i mean yeah and so i i I gotta think through how i'm gonna do it there's gonna be good stuff though whether i you know repost or update or do something to to make sure that i mean i'm going to try to prepare people for the drafts as much as possible that's what i care about one of the biggest things i do care about in this industry is actually helping people win like i really enjoy <laughs> talking to people i enjoy the people that have hung out and and listen to this the people that subscribe to my newsletter email me they know that i almost always email back um or respond to their comments or you know i'm definitely uh appreciative of all that stuff and, and enjoying of the you know the interactions the feedback and anyone who wants clarification and things like that. Um, 
I always, you know, I always like, like that. I like the, the helping people aspect of it. So the goal for the next couple of months will be, you know, hit on some of those temples that are big parts of my process. And that's sort of always the goal of the newsletter, walk people through my process, how I'm approaching drafts in 2022. But at the same time, um, you know, it's a little bit open-ended in terms of what's going to come to me and what's going to be inspiring and what I want to write about. That's what sort of the whole point of the newsletter is. Yep. Yep. So make sure you go subscribe. It is a must read for everyone in fantasy football. And, you know, Ben has already hit on it, but it's, it's some of the content that I think is if you're actually really passionate about this whole space, that's the kind of, this is the kind of stuff you should be reading because exactly literally the last thing that, that Ben just said is when something comes up and he's like, this is really important to me. It's probably really important to you as well. And it's really, that also ends up being the most impactful thing I can, I can tell you about the sleepers or share my rankings or whatever, but, it also doesn't have to be planned. And most of the time, the best content isn't planned. And that's what I love about, about uh, among other things, about what Ben is doing. So bengretch.substack.com. I fucked it up in the intro, added to the list of things I fucked up. Um, but uh, make sure you go and subscribe. And you'll be seeing, you'll be, you, you obviously, you guys probably watch Ship Chasing. You'll see Ben on Wednesday nights. You need to go subscribe to Stealing Bananas. The episodes have always been good. They keep getting better. Um, yeah, the the most the latest ones you guys have been doing are absolutely incredible. So I recommend that to everyone. And you'll probably you might you might if you play DFS see a little bit of Ben and myself on Sunday mornings on Roto Grinders, maybe even a little bit before the season starts. But um, I will be back tomorrow again. Make sure and go check out everything that Ben is doing. I'll be back tomorrow talking a little bit of DraftKings strategy. Nobody likes to talk about DraftKings in this space because it's of a miserable experience to draft on their app. But there's like, you know, millions and millions of dollars to be made on there. So we're going to do a little bit of DraftKings talk. And then uh, I guess I might as well. We're, we're, we're doing another. Uh, I told Ben about the hot dog eating contest that we had. We're doing another stupid. Um, we're calling them drafts with a twist. Friday, we're doing. Have you ever watched Hot Ones, Ben? Have you watched the, the YouTube show or whatever? I've, I've hot seen ones? Uh, spoofs of it. Like Maya Rudolph's spoof of it recently. Was it yeah. came across my timeline was hilarious. So we're doing that. Rob and I are going to do uh, some hot, see, see, build up uh, some hot wings that we're going to eat. Well, you know, basically every pick, we're going to eat a hot wing that is uh, uh, progressively hotter throughout the draft. So uh, we'll see how it goes. That's going to be on Friday. My wife's already mad at me. She's like, you know, you're going to be useless for like a day and a half uh, if you, and she's right. A. Um, but anyway, that's for Friday. Go, go subscribe to, to Ben's stuff, and I will see you guys uh, tomorrow.